Welcome to another episode of Dropping Dimes. It's Brittany Johnson along with Sasha Bloom, a.k.a. Mr. Pac-12. Did you have a busy weekend, Sasha? Yeah, it was exhausting. It was almost a five-hour football game Washington State versus Utah. Yeah. I don't know how you keep a television audience with a five-hour game. Dude, all the media people were like, we're ready to go. So was the crowd. The crowd left in the fourth quarter. But that's nothing new for Utah. New for Utah fans, they always dip out. Yo, we have one heck of a guest for you guys this week. ESPN.com's Myron Medcalf is joining us. Myron covers college basketball uh, for ESPN.com. He's also the co-host of Rothenberg and Medcalf on ESPN Radio. Did I leave something out, Superstar, or is that good? That's about it. That's about it. <laughs> Yo, so Myron... Uh, for people that aren't familiar with your work, kind of describe, you know, who you are. Tell people who you are, what you kind of do, how you got your start. Uh, well, yeah, I've covered college basketball for ESPN since 2011. Um, I do some radio stuff, too, like you said. Uh, Coles, Rothenberg, Metcalf, filling for other shows. So sometimes you hear me call to Mamani Jones' show or some of the other shows on the network, uh, ESPN Radio. Do a bunch of TV stuff, appeared on Sports Center and all the other shows. Um, so that's about it. I mean, I do a little bit of, done some college football for ESPN, but it's primarily college basketball. How I got my start, I was a football player at the Division II level, and I broke my jaw, and I decided I needed to do something else in life, and journalism became that route. So ended up here. He also in other words, you're just big time over there with ESPN, living it up. Not quite. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not Stephen A. I'm not on that level. Just, <laughs> almost, almost. Guys. Yo, so I want to talk to you about a lot today, but I want to start off with Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, for those who aren't up on the latest news with him, uh, he's got a six-game suspension for violating the NFL's personal conduct policy. Uh, it's back on after the Cowboys running back lost his notion for a preliminary injunction on Thursday in the Second Circuit Court in New York. So not only does he have to sit out the Cowboys' uh, next six contest, he's also going to have to stay away from the team's facility during that time. So your people, ESPN, they're reporting that Ezekiel Elliott is leaving the country to an undisclosed location to stay in shape. Do you know where he's going, and can you tell us? Yeah, I, I have no clue where where he's going, but I, I I get it. I mean, he can't be around the team. I just think this thing has been a mess. I mean, he should have served the suspension right away and gotten it over with because um, you're not going to beat the NFL. The NFL is never going to stop, I think, pursuing this case. Uh, if you look at the investigation they did, so I always thought it didn't make a lot of sense for him to – and the Cowboys to continuously challenge the NFL when in the post-Ray Rice era, uh, they're, they're going to make a, a statement, I think. You know, they think he committed domestic violence, and they weren't going to let him get away with it. So it's just been a bizarre case with all the court nonsense. Um, you know, but if the I police department... Of it, but I don't know, you know. If the police department didn't find him to be able for prosecution... How can a private company or hold him accountable to something that um, the public hasn't held him to? Yeah, I think if we relied on local authorities to prosecute every instant, instance of uh, domestic violence, 
and we just counted on them and them alone, I think a lot of things would go unchecked. And that's nothing against local authorities. I just think domestic violence oftentimes is he said, she said. So, you know, there isn't necessarily evidence. Um, every time you, you strike a person, it doesn't necessarily leave a mark. So you have these really gray cases where one side says one thing, the other side says another thing. So I think the local authorities went through whatever process they went through and decided not to bring charges, but that doesn't mean he's he's innocent. doesn't mean he's guilty, but doesn't mean he's innocent. The NFL's investigation concluded that he uh, had done these things. They talked to multiple witnesses. They had experts, medical experts, forensics experts, and concluded that, uh, you know, he had committed domestic violence against this woman. So it's a it's a weird case, but I also think just because we don't have charges doesn't mean a person is innocent in a situation like this. But it seems like the NFL, they drew this out for a long time. Did this process really need to be this long? And was it Ezekiel Elliott, too, making the process even longer for fighting this and not, like you said, just serving a six-game suspension right off top? Yeah, I think the legal elements are what made it, uh, you know, as chaotic as it's been in terms of the process just because there are a lot of levels of appeals, apparently. I didn't realize there were this many ways to appeal things in court, uh, but they've clearly been dragging that out, fighting this case. So that that's part of it. I think the other part of it is that the NFL launched what they believe is a really thorough investigation. Uh, if you look at everything that went into their investigation and the conclusion that they reached. I mean, if you read the letter they sent to Ezekiel Elliott and the Players Association when they first announced the suspension, it's pretty detailed as to how they uh, reached that particular conclusion in this case. So the NFL investigation combined with all the appeals is while we're still talking about this now. But like I said, at the end of the day, uh, maybe it's something he'd serve initially. It'd be over by now, but he's saying that He's innocent, he didn't do it, and doesn't think he should be punished for something that he says he didn't do. So it's just a wild, bizarre situation that maybe maybe it's reached its conclusion. And But the fight's kind of carried over to Jerry Jones versus Roger Goodell, correct? Yeah, I mean, that, there's been a lot of talk about that. Different reports with Jerry Jones, you know, not wanting Roger Goodell to be renewed as the commissioner, um, I don't know, Roger Goodell, for all of the critics and all of the criticism, the NFL has been a pretty strong league under his watch. I mean, you've had the issues with ratings in the last couple of years with Colin Kaepernick, people blaming that and other things for the uh, decline in the ratings in the last couple of years. But overall, it's been a healthy product under Roger Goodell, and uh, Jerry Jones does not speak for every owner in the NFL. He's loud, he talks a lot, but he doesn't speak for every owner in the NFL, so my guess is Roger Goodell is going to keep that job. So, for the Cowboys, how much does this change the outcome of the offense, missing such a huge chunk, and do the Cowboys have enough talent in the backfield to still be on track to make the playoffs without Ezekiel Elliott? Even though he'll come back, obviously, in late December. I mean, you know, he had a touchdown almost 100 yards in that win over Kansas City. He's a unique running back. I mean, he's a unique player just in terms of everything he's capable of doing. You look at what he did as a rookie uh, and all the records he established and and came out the gate as a rookie who was also one of the best running backs in the league, which is hard to do 
So I think you lose a tremendous player w- without him. Um, does does Dallas have enough? They still got Dak, who, who was obviously the leader of that team. So I always think they have a chance when you have a a, a player like that. But you know they're in a division where Philadelphia might be the best team in all of football, um, and they're behind them. So now they've got to claim a wild card spot, and I think that will be difficult to do when you look at all of the, the teams, the Seattle's, Carolina Panthers, maybe even uh, the Detroit Lions and Packers. There are going to be a bunch of teams fighting for those wild card spots. And you, when you lose an all-star player like an Ezekiel Elliott, that certainly, uh, I think, diminishes the chances that you'll find a way to get into the playoffs. So I really think this is a huge loss. By the time he comes back, if he comes back, whenever that happens, um, they could be out of the race. Do, so do you think, I mean, it's a good idea for him to be going out the country, clearing his head? I think it's a good idea, you know, completely kind of reset and then come back. Do you think he'll come back as strong as he is right now? Yeah, I mean, if he if he is innocent, like we don't know, right? He, he's saying that he's fighting for his name and reputation. If he's innocent of, of all these things, these accusations, then he's clearly been through a, a lot. Um, considering all the appeals and and the criticism and things like that. So, you know, going out of the country, wherever he ends up, I I, I get getting away. We all got to get away at some point, right? I think that can can be helpful. I wouldn't worry about his physical condition uh, of him leaving. I mean, he's a young guy. Uh, He's not going to all of a sudden get out of shape and not be the same guy in three or four weeks. So I wouldn't worry about that. Um, Biggest thing is when does he come back? and is he is he still as focused on whatever the goal might be? I mean, the biggest problem again, going back to the last point, is you want him to come back when Dallas still has something to fight for. If they lose all these games without Ezekiel Elliott, all of a sudden he returns to a team that is uh, sort of hopeless. That's a bad situation. So if he comes back focused to a team that still has something to play for, uh, you know, I think he'll be right back where he was before he left as one of the premier running backs in the NFL. Going to hopeless <laughs> is Leangelo Ball hopeless. <laughs> Leangelo Ball, Jalen Hill, Cody Riley, they're still stuck in China uh, after shoplifting allegations at not just Louis Vuitton, but uh, what other places? Yves Saint Laurent, they said uh, they have video of them shoplifting there, Ferragamo and the Gucci store. Man, what's up with these kids? Is this just... Like, what would you do? You're a father. Um, what would you do if you were in this position and those were your kids, and how would you handle it publicly and behind closed doors? I say, keep your tail in China. <laughs> call, me, call me when you get out. I mean, I don't know. I just, if the allegations are true, you can't have any sympathy for them. I mean, everybody says kids. Yeah, you, you're a kid on, on some levels, but this is this is a crime, you know. In a place where who goes to China and does anything wrong, let alone committing shoplifting? And then for me, I'm like, what makes them think that they were going to get away? Like, you stand out in in China. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense, and it's just all pretty stupid. If they're they're guilty of what they're being accused of, you know, they deserve whatever's coming to them just because you, you can't do that. I think the biggest thing is that, it's really taking attention off of a UCLA team that I think is pretty good, um, has a lot of potential. We don't know what UCLA is going to do to these kids. We don't know what the NCAA could do to these kids. 
uh, it's still uncertain what the outcome. I mean, they're not out of China yet. So here you are, Steve Alford, looking ahead at UCLA, hoping to you know kind of rebuild after losing Alonzo Ball, and this is the way you start your season. It's just unfair. I think those kids have done a disservice to themselves more than anyone, but just also to the team and the program and, and, and the conference. And it's like, yeah, everybody. And, and my thing is like, you know, nobody really knew Angelo Ball. They knew Lamelo, they knew Lonzo, but now they know him. They just don't know him for a good reason. <laughs> nah, but so I'm interested. Does this hurt Lamelo's chances? A plan for UCLA? He already committed, but is this just too much of a distraction? They don't want to deal with that. Well, if if Lamelo Ball can uh, he, he, and he wants to, he'll definitely play for UCLA. They're not going to say no. Lamelo's too talented. You don't think it's a thing with Lamelo though? Is like, does he want to play college basketball? I mean, all signs to me point to him never playing college basketball, just because he's doing the homeschool thing now. He's got the shoe. It really sounds like Levar Ball is, you know, going to do everything in his power to, you know, maybe take him another route to the NBA. You can go to the G League, the minor league for the NBA out of high school. You know, maybe he'll try something like that. The NBA rules could change by then. Like, you might be able to leave out of high school when Lamelo's eligible to turn pro. Uh, but it, it, if it works out for both sides, UCLA ain't going to say another Lamelo. He's, he's too talented. You don't I, – I see, I kind of disagree. I think it'd be a great opportunity for UCLA to break apart from the Ball family. It just, in my mind, it seems like a giant distraction. And I know that – UCLA's, you know, had Puff Daddy's kid on the team and Snoop Dogg's kid, and so they're kind of in this hype market. But at some point, you just got to get rid of um, distraction, right? Nah, if you're winning, I mean, I think it all depends on the, on the kind of distraction. Mm. But Lamelo's, you know, arguably the top point guard in that class, I and mean, I've seen Lamelo play a bunch. He's special, uh, and he's he's growing like crazy, and I think he has probably maybe the highest ceiling of the Ball brothers. Really? LaMelo hasn't done anything wrong, so I don't know how you could penalize him for his brother's issue. And, and Lonzo Ball was great at UCLA. He didn't get any trouble. All he did was play good basketball. So I, I think people want the Ball family in this situation. A lot of people don't like them because of LaVar and how talkative he is. But, you know, the, the, the kids have been great up until this situation with Leangelo Ball, Lonzo was great talking to Lonzo after games, and when I covered games at UCLA last year, respectful, mature. Uh, Lamelo is goofy. He's a kid though; he's 16 years old or whatever, driving a Lamborghini. You know, um, he's, he's living a different kind of life, but he, he's also really talented and, and gifted. So I don't think you penalize him if you're UCLA, and UCLA is in the business of winning, and you're not going to let Lamelo go somewhere else because jobs are on the line so unless a player a good player has to do something really 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 bad to miss out on an opportunity um and Lamelo would have to do something really crazy to for some reason for schools to decide they don't want to pursue him what do you think this does for the ball family product um and getting your shoe deals and maybe you know getting deals in china and other countries like that does that have any effect on that we're talking about them. I mean, they're in China, and they're all over Chinese news. They got a pop-up store in Hong Kong. I think they're at uh, this weekend. Like they say, you know, no, all press is good press on some levels, right? And I think for them, it gets their their name out there. 
more than anyone, uh, more than anything. I, I don't really know how to judge the Chinese market. I mean, Stefan Marbury made millions with his uh, Starberry shoes, uh, cost-effective shoes. So who who knows? I mean, at the end of the day, the LeVar Ball, the Ball family brand is going to be tied to what Lonzo Ball can do with the Lakers. If he becomes a star, uh, just became the youngest guy to ever record a triple-double, if he becomes a star, the Ball family is going to sell a bunch of shoes. Because we all know if you're a star, whatever product you're attached to, people buy it. So I think that's the biggest factor uh, that could help the Ball family. Would you pay $450 for his shoes? <laughs> no. I wouldn't pay 50 I wouldn't pay 25 I'm not buying those shoes. Somebody will. Yo, they're you know, ugly, you know, though. A bunch of kids are going to ask these for Christmas. A bunch of kids will ask for those shoes for Christmas. I don't know if they'll get them, but they'll ask. Yo, that's way too much. And then... But it is interesting because LeVar Ball has said in the past, like when uh, I think he was on first take and they were asking him, you know, why uh, your shoes, why the shoes are so much? Why would you make them that much money? He said, because nobody's going to talk about them. They were only 100 bucks. But I got you talking because they're 450. Yep, he's smart. I mean, he's so much smarter. We talked to LeVar Ball. He, he's so much smarter than people realize. He Everything is calculated. He knows exactly what he's doing. Um and if he's anything else, I think if you whatever you have to say about LeVar Ball, you can question him as a parent or as a person. He is a marketing genius. He understands how to market him and his family and the sons in ways that you know no one maybe ever has. This is a guy who doesn't have some strong athletic background, like he's a former NFL star or. He's a former musician or rap star. Like, he doesn't have any of that. He's just the dude who's always been talking crazy about his sons and how good they are, and he turned that into a shoe that now is in China, a reality show. He predicted his son would go to the Lakers and made it happen. I mean, he he's a marketing genius, and he's going to find a way to turn all this somehow into a positive. Who has surprised you the most um, as a rookie in the NBA, um, who has surprised you the most is coming out and getting right to work and being the most productive? Um, well, I think Lonzo's probably getting – it's unfair. Like, I don't know how he wins because I've never seen a rookie since LeBron James where we graded every single game. So it's like, you know, it's hard for him to just be a typical rookie because he, he's under, uh, you know, so much scrutiny. At this point, uh, but I think at the end he'll he'll be he'll live up to the hype. I like what Dennis Smith Jr. is doing. Like at NC State, he was good, really good. I knew a lot of NBA scouts that were high on him, and now he's averaging like 15 a game for Dallas. LeBron had the comment the other day he should have been a Nick. The Knicks passed on a great player. He's really showing out, you know. So I think you look at Dennis Smith Jr with what's happening, with what he's doing in the NBA as a, as a rookie, not just a rookie, as a guy who, I don't even know if he's 20 years old, I think he's 19, I think he has a, a really, really bright future ahead. How do you feel about that Fox kid on Sacramento? Fox is good. He's going to be good. I mean, he, the biggest thing with De'Aaron is he's got to, at some point, you know, grow into that body, Yeah, add some weight. He's thin. Uh, but a lot of that's just, you know, you've got to eat a little bit more and 
uh, get get stronger. But I really like his potential as a as a young player. Like he's got instincts. I mean, I was there at the game when he was matched up against Lonzo Ball in the NCAA tournament, and he he was definitely the best point guard on the floor that night. And Magic Johnson was sitting right there, and that's what started a lot of rumors that. Maybe they're going to pick De'Aaron Fox over Lonzo Ball, but no, I really like uh, De'Aaron Fox and his potential. What do you think about, uh, have you been able to watch much of Kyle Kuzma, graduated from here, from University of Utah? Or not yeah, graduated, Kyle, but... Kyle yeah. is, well, he's shocking people, I think. I mean, I saw Kyle play a lot in in uh, college, and I knew he was a good player, but this, I mean, I don't know if anyone picked him necessarily be in the in the NBA, you know. I don't just know Coach K. <laughs> just I yeah, mean, Coach I mean, K from yeah. day one said this guy's going to be an NBA All Star. But yeah, but that was about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There weren't many others, right? But what uh, do you think about his comments now? He's saying uh, Kyle Kuzma said he should have been top five in the NBA <laughs> draft. You know, I, he couldn't even I, win an I, NIT game. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, but I tell you what, <laughs> I'd be talking crazy too if I were averaging fifteen a game. <laughs> Uh, in the NBA, and I've been looked over and, and passed by all these other teams. So I, I'd be talking crazy too, just because who has gotten more value from a first round pick? Yeah. The Lakers and Kyle Kuzma. He's averaging 15 a game, six rebounds a game. I mean, there is no one. I interview every single NBA executive, including Magic Johnson, and say, Did you predict this kid would average 15 and, and seven? I mean, like, to me, the Lakers because of all this cheap young talent they have right now, they're in the perfect position to get not only LeBron James next summer, yeah. but maybe one or two other superstars. Just because they have the perfect complementary pieces, I think. And the guys that don't cost them much, cost much, the Kyle Kuzma's, the Lonzo Balls, um, that would you know create a perfect situation for a LeBron James who wants to extend his career. I mean, Kuzma is, you know, there's nobody who's done more uh, in terms of where they were projected to be after last season. So he, he's impressed more than anybody, probably. Listen, I don't even think Kyle Kuzma thought he was going to be this good. Like... No, no, probably not. <laughs> he surprised it himself. Yo, so... Well, he, he says it has to do with the spacing in the NBA versus uh, the Pac-12 conference. And yeah, that college is different, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's the biggest thing. College is so different. It's just so structured and so systematic and it's so it it is not like the nba which is more free-flowing and that helps guys like kyle kuzma so with lebron james going back to him that is one of the biggest storylines you know looming over the nba season is what he is going to do during free agency you think what are his what are the best scenarios that you think for lebron james that could happen during free agency stay with cleveland you go to the lakers you test the water somewhere else what would you be looking for if you were LeBron James? I mean, LeBron has never made a move that didn't involve him putting himself in a position to win a championship. So, you know, I honestly don't know if it's about location for LeBron as much as it's can we add another piece. If he feels like he can do that in Cleveland, he will. And I think he'll stick around. If he feels like he can do that in Cleveland and add another piece, uh, I think he'll stick around there. I think the other appeal of Cleveland is, does he want to own that team one day? Mm-hmm. Is that the goal? You know, does he want to stick around and and be the guy who solidifies his legacy there and then becomes an owner of that franchise? But I think LeBron ultimately feels like he can win 
you know, two, three more championships, and he's going to do whatever he has to do to get there. If that's Cleveland, he will. But I think you look at a team like the Lakers that has all that cap room, and again, young talent like Lonzo Ball. If Lonzo Ball is a star this year, which I think he will be, uh, LeBron will go there, I think, just because he's never really had that young point guard. Kyrie wasn't really a real point guard. Lonzo was a legit point guard. And they got all that cap money to sign a, a Paul George and maybe even another star if they want to come out to L.A. So what about like a DeMarcus Cousins? It, it's all it's all possible, given that I think L.A. Is, is going to be one of the more attractive destinations. But a lot of it, again, is based on Lonzo Ball. Is he the star that everyone says he is? And then what does LeBron James want to do? Because all he has to do is make a couple calls, the next thing you know, you have your, your new super team. But I don't think it's a definite because who really wants to go to the Western Conference right now? Golden State's not going to lose if they're healthy for the next three to five years. So who wants to get caught up in that mess? You know, he has a better chance of getting to the finals if he stays yeah. in the East. But it'll be interesting. I think it's either Cleveland, Cleveland or L.A. And then everybody's banking on Paul George coming to the Lakers. But, I mean, he's got to test that relationship with Russell Westbrook. If they like playing together, why would he leave? If they're onto something good, why would he leave? Well, I don't think they're onto something good. I mean, <laughs> well, uh, not right now, obviously, <laughs> yeah. but it's still early. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think they're. I don't. I don't. Nothing about Russell Westbrook says that he's an easy person to play with. He's a great player. We all know that. But you know, I think part of the Kevin Durant thing was this is a guy who, when he gets in that mode. You know, it's kind of hard to get him to think team. And I think they're kind of struggling because you have three kind of alpha dogs on that Oklahoma City team. And it might work. Uh, it might not. Again, Paul George is another guy who he didn't sign with OKC. He got traded there with the idea that, hey, let's see if this works out. I'm going to get to the playoffs. But I also think ultimately in the prime of his career, he's going to go somewhere and do something where, he gets paid and he can win championships. And we're, we're past the era of I want to help my team win no matter what, so I will retire without a championship if that means I was loyal to my team. That era is over. Paul's going to do what Paul has to do. Uh, and if he thinks he can win with those guys, sure. OKC is definitely an option. He said Russell Westbrook's, Westbrook's signing there uh, could influence his decision. But if they're struggling – in the West and they get blown out in the playoffs or don't make the playoffs or something like that, he's out. He's going to win. I don't blame him. You got to do what you got to do to win uh, championships. That's the goal. So what's the NBA do to protect the league's health with these superstar teams? Because the Jazz, the Sacramento Kings, a lot of these smaller teams are really going to struggle going forward. And, you can see the effects of what's going on with the Utah Jazz and not having star power. Very well coached, very talented players, but that's all they are. They're not going to be talked about deep in the playoffs for years and years and years. And I think it's concerning. Yeah, I don't don't think you can do anything Mm. because, I mean, number one is the super team is not a new concept. Sure. Uh, The Celtics were a super team. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Bulls, Moses Malone and Dr. J playing together. After winning MVP in back-to-back years, I mean, that was a super team. The Bulls were a super team. The Lakers were a super team. The Jazz were uh, close. Kobe and Shaq were a super team. Yeah, I mean, I think we've all, we've only had super teams winning at the highest level. I think Utah is an example of a team that 
you know, could have been in that mix. The only thing that happened was Gordon Hayward decided he wanted to go play for his own coach. So I think the best-case scenario is if you are a Utah, you're in a position to keep a guy like that, and they were. Uh, and I think the the biggest factor, he didn't sign with Miami, which is what a lot of people assumed. He went to go play for his old coach, uh, and he went to go play for a team that had more star power and went for a team in the East that gave him a chance to win. So I don't think you're ever going to get rid of players doing what's best for themselves. Um, I actually think this era is good for the Utah Jazz, and I'm from Milwaukee, teams like the Milwaukee Bucks, because I think what Cleveland has shown, what Golden State continues to show, is players want to play together and they don't really care where that is. There was a time where everybody wanted to be in New York or Chicago or L.A. That's no longer the case. Chris Paul goes to Houston. Because they don't uh, party the same, right? Like, NBA players aren't nightlife guys like the way they, it used to be, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But, I mean, I'm sure they're partying everywhere. I mm. mean, there are clubs everywhere. I, I think it's just Not in Utah. Guys, yeah, well, they come <laughs> up on the circuit. They play on the AAU circuit a lot together. And they just want to win. And at the end of the day, that's the goal. They want to win. And if they have to do that in Cleveland, they'll do it in Cleveland. If it's Utah, if it's Milwaukee, if it's Minnesota. Look at Jimmy Butler here in Minnesota. I mean, that's a huge move. Uh, And they look like a team that could be really good now into the future. So I think the best thing that can happen is you just have to cultivate a, a winning product and hope you can sign these guys when they become free agents. But Utah had a chance. They had Gordon Hayward right there and couldn't keep him. Uh, and they had a chance to I can't think, get a guy who's going to be one of the best players in the league once he's healthy again. Uh, and they just missed out because he went to Boston. But you were in the mix. It wasn't like you had no chance to sign Gordon Hayward. Like, that would be different if it were like, there's no chance he's coming back. Uh, you just lost to a team that he preferred. Yo, so I agree that there's always been super teams but the thing is, in the past, it's like they weren't set hopping. Like, you can't, like, everybody's doing that now. Like, I don't agree with that. You can't just, it's like in the streets. I can't be a blood one day and then be a crypt the other day because it's cool. Okay. Like, they okay. just set hopping. You can't do example. that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think about. Like, you can't just do that. It yeah, just, it see, drives think, me nuts. But we, we judge athletes differently, right? And that's not fair. Um, if we all look at whatever industry we're in, if somebody offered you an opportunity, uh, you know, to be with a team that was going to help you. Don't give me Kevin Durant. No, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to no, hear no, no. it. You're, you, you're just like Kevin Durant. No. You're in TV. <laughs> if no. If station offered you an opportunity to be a part of a team. She'd be well, gone. Like, Man, they've got all these Emmys, these opportunities. You would be out. Listen, I mean, that's the thing. We look at Kevin Durant differently, but he's not different. He just wants to win. I don't, I don't need you to be like Kevin Durant's mom right now. I'm not going to let you finish your thought. I'm just saying. But I do all, honestly, I do agree. We all, because we all would do with Kevin Durant. We would if we thought we could win. You know, it, it's not disloyal. It's I want to win. And remember, in the NBA, you know, for about 40 years, you didn't have real free agency. You know, Larry Bird was drafted by the Celtics before he even came out uh, of college basketball out of Indiana State. Like, it was a different era where it wasn't – you weren't really allowed to to be free uh, as a player. Um, The owners controlled everything. So I think guys now have more of that flexibility. 
and they're using it, and, and I don't see anything wrong with that. I'm tired of it, only with certain players. Yet she wants yeah, LeBron James in, <laughs> in you know L.A. What? <laughs> anyway, anyway, LeBron, he's not going to be the saving grace for the Lakers. I don't think I would root for him. I'm lying. I would. Anyway, <laughs> yo, you, so you wrote this article for ESPN.com titled Bo Predictions for This College Basketball Season. You do this uh, every year, correct? Something like it, yeah. Something like it? Because I remember last year you pissed a lot of people off on Twitter. Yeah, I don't know. People get upset. I don't have time <laughs> to care about that. Yeah, so I want to go through this article uh, with you and go through some of your bold predictions. Um, you want to kind of break this down, or you? How do you want to go through this? Well, you tell me which one. Which one of the predictions you want to talk about? I want to talk about. Let's start with number one. You're number one. Kentucky won't win the SEC. Yeah, I mean the SEC is pretty tough. Uh, Texas A&M is really good. They should be good this year. Uh, Florida was in the Elite 18 last year. If Colin Sexton is, is healthy at Alabama, that's one of the best players in the country and arguably the best player in the SEC. Uh, I, I just think they got a lot they're up against. Michael Porter Jr. goes to Missouri. I just think Kentucky has a really, really, really young team. And this reminds me of some of the teams that have missed expectations the uh, 2016 team and the 2013 team that went to the NIT, they didn't really have sort of that, you know, superstar. And this team doesn't have a Malik Monk or mm-hmm. uh, a De'Aaron Fox or an Anthony Davis or a Carl Towns. It doesn't have a player like that. There's no so it player. Struggling. Yeah, well, they're really good play, really good, you know, prospects. They got top 25 talent, but they don't have the guys that I think, you know, you need to – win a championship in the league like the SEC. I, I could be wrong. I'm wrong a lot. But I think, uh, you know, physically you get beat up in a league like that if you don't have a bunch of mature bigs. And they've had young big men in the past, Julius Randle, Bam Adebayo, Carl Towns, Anthony Davis, but they were physically gifted. Uh, Anthony Davis was skinny, but he had, you know, 30-foot arms, and he was the best player, the best player I've ever seen in college at the collegiate level. Uh, and they don't have a guy like that. You know, one thing I didn't see in your article uh, that should have been in there was the reason why Kentucky doesn't have any star player this year is because this is the first time John Calipari did not pay anyone to come (laughs) play for his team. That should have been in your article somewhere. I don't know. I'm missing it. You had, like, what your number 10 was talking about, the FBI kind of corruption scandal, and had nothing in here to do with Kentucky. Yeah, see, all these people who say Kentucky pays players, their favorite teams are getting hit by the FBI. It's not It's not Kentucky and Kansas and Duke and North Carolina and all these teams that people assume are, are doing stuff dirty. It's it's a bunch of other squads that are trying to compete and to get into that mix. It's the Louisville and the USC. <clears throat> Allegedly. Yeah, listen, <laughs> if people are doing things, uh, if people are doing dirt, I think they're certainly thinking twice. Uh, considering what happened to the four assistants who were arrested and now are facing prison time, not jail time, prison time (laughs) uh, for what they did. So I I actually think there are probably a lot of programs making sure that they're cleaning up their acts uh, because they don't want to get involved with this FBI nonsense. So with Arizona and USC, how come their coaches are allowed to coach right now 
how come they're allowed to play basketball? Because I, I would think that the Cows and Washington States and Oregon States and Utahs of the world would be very unhappy with what's going on in that conference. Yeah, I mean, the programs haven't been indicted. Uh, okay. I mean, the scandals are directly tied to individuals. I mean, Tony Bland at USC, Book Richardson, who I know really well, in Arizona. So, I, I mean, you're not going to stop the whole program or shut the whole program down for what the FBI alleges those individuals did. But long-term, you can't, you know, ignore the shadow over Arizona and USC basketball right now. And I think if you're Andy Enfield, if you're Sean Miller, you should definitely be concerned about your future at those schools because, you know, I, I, I think, you know, barring some great season or something, both of those guys, even if they're successful, um, could find themselves in jeopardy at the end of the season just because the shadow of this thing is something that presidents and ADs want to avoid. Uh, FBI, it's a it's a different kind of investigation. Recruits are pulling out. I mean, it's going to be hard for all these schools involved to maintain their reputation in top college basketball. But isn't there a moral obligation with because there are students and they are athletes and these are universities and colleges, isn't there some type of responsibility to make sure that these kids aren't being taken advantage of because they're students at the end of the day, they're going to a place so that they can learn and build and gain some sort of intellectual progression for the rest of their lives. And it seems like when there's scandals and scandals and no one's taking responsibility, because at the end of the day, Sean Miller's a professor. He's not a coach. He's a professor. You know what I'm trying to get at here? Yeah. I, I mean, people are. I mean, people are being held responsible. I mean, people are in jail right now. So I think clearly that's happening in, in the NCAA. I mean, look at what happened with Louisville a couple of years ago, and they're they're responding to to these issues. You're never going to stop people from trying to take advantage of of some of these guys uh, and trying to do things under the table. What I would like to see is all these guys get paid. It would eliminate everything for sure. But I think if you gave these guys what they were worth it would uh, maybe take away some of the temptation of doing these things under the table because uh, these guys deserve to get paid, college basketball and college football players. Uh, they make millions for their universities, millions for their conferences, um, and I think that is something that has to be considered in all of this. Like Clearly, clearly there's a market for talent, and people are willing to pay, um, and, and I think it's time. It's been past due for us to have that conversation about paying players. We talked about this a couple weeks ago on the podcast. Uh, we had a Fox Sports West reporter, Rashawn Haylock, on, and we were talking about should these athletes be getting paid in college. One of the things is I agree that athletes should be getting paid, but then should it be everyone on the roster that gets paid? Or should it just be your top two, three players that everybody's coming to see and that's who's bringing in the money? And then second, and then second part to the question, Sasha brought up a good point. Well, okay, if you're going to pay, you know, the basketball players, the football players, what about the soccer players, the hockey players, the you know, does every sport get paid or no? Because basketball, the NCAA tournament, brings in all your money for all the other teams. Yeah, I think you pay the teams in the revenue sports, which is mostly men's basketball and football. Um, you can pay the soccer player. 
pay them according to the revenue that that team makes. Uh, but this is largely a men's basketball and college football conversation. And that's not about gender. That's about money. Uh, those are the two teams that uh, generate the most revenue on most campuses. In terms of if you pay each player the same, I mean, I think that's something that can be worked out in a dress. But at the end of the day, the money they're bringing in, there's no real argument against them. I mean, I see the people who are like, oh, they're student athletes, but like the student athletes who put in an incredible amount of time to generate revenue for their campuses, for their schools. And there are people who say, well, what about the other students? You tell me when 100,000 people show up to watch the debate team or, or to watch the, the campus choir, and then we can have that conversation. Until then, college football and college basketball are unique and the service that they provide, the product that they offer, and the fact that people are willing to pay a bunch of money to see them. So these kids deserve to get paid. If, if their coaches make millions and can do whatever they want, uh, it's certainly time to pay these guys. I completely agree with you, but I also in my head have this idea that when Lady Red Rocks, which is the Utah gymnastics team, or they have a star player on their softball team who's going to represent them in the Olympics, or you get any one of these volleyball girls from the Pac-12 who goes on to the Olympics and international play, and on the lower third in the Chiron, it says University of Utah, it says UCLA, and those are tremendous recruiting advantages that these elite women's programs bring to an athletic conference overall. You know, what Stanford does in their Olympic sports and their, you know, 50-plus titles they've taken is a, is a major thing for the Pac-12, and it's why they brand themselves the Conference of Champions. And I really think that some of these women have to be paid, you know. If you're going to pay yeah. men, you got to pay these elite women too. Don't be a Cam yeah, Newton. Uh, yeah, it's not. no, no, no. It's not a gender thing. It's not a yeah, okay. Okay. I think, I think you're wrong about that. Um, the, the Stanford women's teams uh, and the Utah women's teams are, are clearly competitive. I mean, this isn't about competition. I mean, I understand that some of these women's teams are amazing. Stanford women's swimming. I mean, we, how many Olympians have they produced? Yeah. Uh, I covered the National Gymnastics Championship a couple years back, and Utah was there. I mean, there are obviously some amazing people uh, who who um, you know play for some of these teams, and what I'm saying is, if you want to have a gender conversation, then you can never talk about paying players because that won't happen. Like the the NCAA, the schools aren't going to pay you know a thousand athletes. In my opinion, you have to look at the revenue sports because you have to look at where is this pool of money going to come from. And I don't think it's unfair to say, look. These college football players are generating millions and millions of dollars for the university, and now they get an extra stipend as a result. I understand Title IX wouldn't like that. I understand certainly uh, there are a number of women's teams that wouldn't like that, but the men's baseball team wouldn't like that as well. Uh, you know, the the men's wrestling team wouldn't like that as well. So it wouldn't just be you know female athletes who wouldn't like that. All athletes who weren't in college basketball or football would have a problem with that. My argument to them, though, would be, are you generating revenue that warrants this conversation? And 99.9% of those teams that aren't men's basketball and college football, the men's and women's teams, it's not women's teams, and it's all men's and women's teams outside of those two sports, don't have a pool of revenue to pool from. So I think that would be the compli complication. 
Uh, when you see what the NCAA tournament generates, when you see what the college football playoff generates, it's impossible for me to look at those and go, how are you, how, you don't pay those kids. It doesn't make any sense to me personally. Now, you also brought up another point in your article, uh, the Golden State Warriors effect. It's actually something that I've been interested in for a while. Like you mentioned Steph Curry, Golden State Warriors, all their three-point attempts, and then you're going to see that, you know, go over to the college division. Is that something that's actually good for the college game? Um, I mean, it's changing scoring. I mean, scoring is up in college basketball. Uh, but I, if they make the shots, it's good. You know, if they, if they don't, it's not. But it's just a sign of the game and how it's changing. I mean, you didn't have 16 guys like Kevin Durant shooting threes. 10, 15 years ago. I talked to Patrick Ewing about that. And I said, you know, how come more big guys weren't shooting threes back then? He said, he said that, hey, I could shoot the three. I just knew that I was better in the paint, you know. So to see some of these big guys at the three-point line is, has convinced young players, regardless of their size or position, that they too should be working on their three-point shot. And in the NBA, I mean, DeMarcus Cousins is shooting threes. Uh, it doesn't matter anymore what position you play. You got to be able to hit shots from beyond the arc. So I think as players see what's happening in the NBA, they're uh, adjusting to that. Um, and I, I think it's a good thing if it helps your team win. It's a bad thing if you guys are missing a bunch of shots uh, because you guys just keep shooting threes. But um, it, it's definitely NBA has definitely affected what's happening in college basketball. But I also think it has a negative effect on AAU, on you know these kids that are watching the younger kids that are just getting into basketball, seven, eight, you know, years old. And all they do is see people jack up threes. So that's, they don't want to learn fundamentals. They don't want to work on their inside game. They just want to throw up threes and score. How do you teach those kids that, yeah, there's more to the game besides jacking up these threes? Yeah. I actually think today's generation of players are more skilled than they were 20, 30 years ago. Uh, You look at a Kevin Durant, who came from that AAU scene, he, he's far more skilled than, you know, the guys were his size t- 20 years ago. Um, so I think people look at AAU and they go, they're just jacking up shots. Like, there's some really, really talented players at the AAU level. And the benefit of the AAU level is these guys get to play the best competition in the country, uh, and that's not something you could do 20, 30 years ago. Uh, the goal is to score, and – that's what they're doing on the AU circuit, the same thing they're doing in the NBA. And I actually think in terms of fundamentals, you know, you look at Gold State and all those players are from the AAU generation. They're very fundamentally sound. Um, do you see some kids who are just, you know, throwing up bad shots and don't know how to play the game? Sure. But that's no different than it was 20, 30 years ago. Uh, it's just more exposed because we have the AAU circuit and you have everyone gathering at one place to watch competition. But this idea that everyone should be at the same level is false. The elite teams and that in the AAU circuit have those fundamentals and play really good basketball and have really skilled players. Like I said, I think today's players are far more skilled than NBA players were 20, 30 years ago. I mean, could you imagine these Golden State Warriors playing the Chicago Bulls? They'd destroy them. Uh, they'd sweep them, I think, just because the skill set of these Golden State Warriors is so much different, so much better than what you have with that Chicago Bulls team. To me, yeah, their skill set is on a whole nother level, but their 
to me, these players aren't as strong as the players back in the day. Yeah, people talk about toughness, you know. I, you don't have maybe Charles Oakley's and Anthony Mason's and guys like that, uh, you know, walking around. But I, I think these guys are the best athletes and most skilled players that the NBA has ever seen. And I think if you put a lot of those tough guys, because every time you have a conversation about the old school players, it's like my barbershop the other day, like, oh, those players were tougher. Yeah, they were tougher, but they would get destroyed by this new group of players and these guys who can do everything. Like, do you think the Bulls can touch these Golden State Warriors? No, but you just knock them out. That's all you got to do. I'd love to see if Horace Grant and Dennis Rodman go to work on Green. Green would be out of the game eight minutes into the first quarter. Not a chance. They would (laughs) be shooting threes. Durant would be shooting threes. They won't be able to. They would beat the Bulls by double digits every game. It wouldn't even be close. I I think you're right. New era of competition. New era. DeMarcus Cousins playing against, you know, Patrick Ewing, and he's out at the three-point line. These guys are more skilled, uh, certainly. And I think it's, it's, to me, the best era of the NBA we've ever seen in terms of the skill set of the players. All right, Myron, and wrapping up here, there's so much more that we would like to talk to you about, so you're going to have to come on again. But in wrapping up here, where can people connect with you and find you on social media? Uh, I'm out there. I'm just Metcalf by ESPN on on Twitter. So if they feel like following me, cool. If not, that's cool, too. I'll, still work. I'll keep working. You keep sound working. like Sasha. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm just to say, I don't know. I don't get caught up in it. I'm not here to be famous. I just, you know, write about sports, talk about sports, and live a normal life. Well, I think your journal is fantastic, and uh, thanks for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Check this out. This is Ikaj, and you're being exposed to DJ Jamad and Locksmith. On the unofficial Lost Outcast remixes, baby. Outcast. Outcast.